Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. I always like to make sure that we take an opportunity to formally introduce our guest co-host. We want you to know their credentials, um, what kind of lens they're bringing to this conversation. This allows us to make sure that we understand um, that they are well qualified to be spending this space and time with us sharing. But equally important, this also allows us an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper once we get into our conversations. And so here is Rico Jacobs Chase, official bio. Rico started his career as a diversity consultant following on from launching his radio show Against Racism in the aftermath of the Black Lives Matter movement. The nine part series explored the various forms of racism and how we can collectively make a difference. After reporting live at the Black Lives Matter protest and speaking in the award-winning Pride and Protest documentary, he was appointed as director of Transactual UK. On healthcare, he has also spoken on NHS King Cross Hospital panels and Northeast A&E doctors on LGBTQIA plus healthcare and a similar subject at the Mayor of London's roundtable think tanks. As a member of the board, he continues to strive to change UK legislation for trans and non-binary equality, tackling hate crime and raises the black queer intersectionality question in all forums through addressing audiences at the House of Commons, London's Trans Pride, Sony Music, and the BPI Network, and Department of Transport Conferences, with quotes in Forbes, Vice, and Pink News. As visibility matters, Rico has been the face of the most recent Copperfield and GAP campaign, GAP campaign, speaking live on their platform regarding the intersectional impact on members of the Black trans community. Rico is a very vocal activist fighting avidly for the rights of LGBTQIA plus people and Black people alike. So Intentional Conversations podcast community in your own way, provide some level of support and love to our guest co-host today for sharing space and time with us. We are so grateful you're here, Rico. As I often like to do, I want you to unmute yourself and greet this audience in your own way. And we want to know what is your DEI story? What, what additional lens do you bring to this broad conversation outside of maybe what we've already been exposed to through your official credentials and accolades in your bio? Welcome, Rico. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. I mean, <clears throat> you read my credentials and I've made you feel very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> not gonna lie. It makes a lot of people uncomfortable, <laughs> but look, we gotta share all that goodness. Yes, and so we no, appreciate, I appreciate you. That. I appreciate that. So we can that. bring it down now. You can tell us some other things that we won't find in your bio that you think are just equally important mm. for, for shaping who you are. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess um, I always try and uh, take up space, take up opportunity to make sure when I am in a forum that I do it justice, so I don't really um, show up to a panel and actually done my previous research. So when I was speaking at the Department of Transport, I did a survey in advance to sort of make sure that I don't just cover what I know from a sort of London-centric point of view, that I actually capture regional um, regional uh, experiences because you, you don't know what you don't know. I think it's important to acknowledge that. Uh, but me, I mean, uh, Rico Jacob Chase, pronounce he, him, I'm a black trans guy. Um, and 
Yeah, I sound pretty, pretty like an ordinary bloke, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, I only realised that I was trans at the age of 25, and that's due to homophobia and transphobia, which was part of, unfortunately, the cultures that we grew up in. So in the UK, Section 28 effectively removed any mention of the LGBT curriculum from, um, our, from our, our curriculum, effectively. So mm. I didn't grow up knowing about the LGBT community. A good example is in the UK, one of our favourite childhood books is Tracy Beaker. And uh, if Tracy Beaker had mentioned one of the characters in that book, Cam, uh, was a uh, lesbian woman, then that book would have been off the shelves. I wouldn't have known about Tracy Beaker. I wouldn't have had like a Tracy Beaker rucksack growing up. That's how, um, it, how much impact that sort of censorship has had. So, yeah, I mean, I came out as a trans guy at the age 25. I'm 29 now, so I, I kind of just went from... Um, being a lesbian to trans person in like <laughs> zero one to 100 real quick. Um, and once you accept who you are and you realize that, once you realize that being accountable only to yourself, there's a significantly large amount of freedom in that. And yeah, so that's how I, I got to where I am today. No, great. Well, thank you so much, Rico. Again, we're so honored that you're here and that you said yes to our invite. So let's jump right in. And by the way, tell us all where you're joining the conversation from today. Yep. Um, I'm based in Greenwich, which is in Southeast London. Greenwich, Southeast London. Great. Fantastic. So you started a career in asset management. So tell us a little bit about your why in DEI and what sparked that shift. You started to talk about that just a moment ago as you were sharing, but I want to I want you to elaborate a little bit further for us, if you don't mind. No, of course. Um, I talk about it quite frequently. So uh, I used to work in asset management on trading floors. And when I first arrived at the company, believe it or not, I actually looked like a girl. And I potted in with my, my handbag on my arm. Um, and I was wearing a dress and heels. Because that was, that's what's expected during an interview process. You have to look the part, quote unquote, the part. Um, mm. And the thing about the the detriment of having a perfect society is that it implies that something is imperfect when you yeah. strive for perfection it means anything that is not quote unquote what you were expecting should be removed or is uh derogatory etc so um uh i actually uh interviewed quite feminine and um i actually was quite non-binary in my presentation in the previous financial company i used to work on they used to kind of like tease me a little bit about it because one day i'd come in quite feminine and the next day i'll be in a polo shirt and i'll be like slouching in my chair but no one really cared because as long as you got your job done, it didn't really matter at all. And that was the beauty yes. of it. That was the beauty of yeah. the industry. Oh, we have to stop here for a second. I need you yeah. to say that again. As long as you're getting your job done, that's the beauty of it. That's what counts. That's what matters, right? So I just had to amplify that. Carry on, carry on. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You're hired to do a job. You're not hired to re-educate other members of staff. <laughs> like, that's not really what I, what I came to work to do today. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, um, because I was more than buying my presentation, they perceived that as me letting myself go. Um, I had hairy legs. I always had hairy legs as a kid. And I used to drive me up the wall when I was swimming because I like to be the hairy kid. But then I wrote, actually, I quite like my hairy legs. Like, what's the problem with this? Um, and I'd never met uh, trans and non-binary people at that time, but I knew myself who I was. And that was the conflict. And um, the more I went against the grain of what the expectations were in the office, the more I ended up being uh, considered rebellious, kind of like a massive afro. I just, I don't know, like, this is my hair, I'm having it. Uh, yeah, and I ended up getting bullied, unfortunately. Was it as big um, as mine? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, when I first came in, I saw your hair, I was like, ah. <laughs> like that's maintenance right there. I like Pele. Um, yeah, this is the thing, like, if people think that, um, 
uh, stereotypical like white presentation is what you should be looking for. Anything that doesn't really align with that is considered unprofessional. Like why is dreadlocks unprofessional? Hair is hair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I was one of the first women uh, on the trading floor. I was one of the first um, PhD people as well. I had people coming up to me asking me, um, is it cultural differences? I was just like, hmm, that is racist. <laughs> when, you, yeah. when you're the junior person, you can't really say. Um, diversity and inclusion at the lower end of the um, hiring uh, hierarchy is not diversity and inclusion. Because how's the intern supposed to tell the senior manager that they say something which is likely sexist, racist, or so any of the other phobias? You, know, you, you don't really have that empowerment. Anyway, cut a long story short, I ended up being bullied for my identity. Uh, mm-hmm. I refused to resign because like, it would get better. And I, uh, my ancestors were slaves. We survived anything. We can survive this. And that was my, my ideology. Uh, I ended up post-traumatic stress disorder. So um, uh, I went home after leaving the company, had a nap, woke up, and I had post-traumatic stress disorder. So like, you just, people couldn't touch me for about an eight-month period. If you came near me, I'd have a very, very severe panic attack. And I couldn't read, write, or eat in public settings. I had to literally reset everything. And I'm three years in to my recovery now. I mean, I, the thing is, before, ironically, I hated doing public speaking, and now I do public speaking for a living. Um, there's just a lot of things that I realized that my entire identity was based on my, my job. Um, when you, mm-hmm. you say, oh, hey, how are you? So, oh, I'm in my Rico, I, I worked in finance, right. or uh, I'm an accountant. What the person's actually asking you is who you are as a person. Like, right. what makes you tick? What are your hobbies? Like, our identity is very, very linked to our career, which yeah. in some ways beneficial but it also means that if you do lose your job you feel like you've lost part of your identity which is quite yeah which isn't really good to be honest with you. but um yeah so part of that by not having any any external pressure I found who I was as a person I'm now quite comfortable who I am as a person I'm like a proud black trans guy you know I'll sort of say that in the speech department and I'm quite comfortable who I am as a person but I do realize that there's a certain amount of privilege in that if you are in the professional setting do you say I have to come do you feel comfortable transitioning? Do you feel as if people are going to respect your pronouns? Um, there's just a lot there that kind of needs to be done, needs to be changed. So yeah, that's how I got into doing that. No, I so appreciate you sharing that story. And um, I'm glad that you are feeling whole and empowered now and, and you're able to, yes, to, to, to speak about it. And, and yeah, you're getting lots of love and support from this community as well. So, so what are some of the common misconceptions about mental health in the workplace and how can we be better allies to the trans and non-binary community? Um, I think I'll split those two questions up. Uh, but when it comes to mental health in the workplace, I don't think any of us, well, I don't know about your curriculum, but my curriculum definitely didn't include any sort of anxiety, depression, uh, tips and tricks. Um, it didn't initially explain what it is, more importantly, how to maintain your mental health. Like, mm. um, I am fortunate to be part of a group uh, and they do a lot of like mental health and well-being and, and meditation exercise. I didn't know any of that. Like, why mm-hmm. do you not know any of that? Like, why is it the point in which um, you get support for anxiety and depression when you're at the breaking point? When you were like, sort of, we'll call it, oh, she had a, she, they had a breakdown. Do you really need to get to that point? Be good if people know, okay, I have to have a rest day. And interestingly, yeah. a lot of um, uh, cultures do actually have rest days in, in built. Sunday, you do nothing. A, a yeah. lot of um, religious people, religious mm-hmm. groups do actually have that in built. Um, meditation is part of being a Buddhist Hindu communities. They also have meditation. Uh, I mean, 
uh, Christianity, what are you grateful for? Saying what you're grateful for, I'm grateful for this meal. A lot of yeah. that is part of um, old uh, religious, religious communities. I wouldn't say I'm completely religious, I'm probably more of an atheist. But they, just because we don't agree with everything in the past doesn't mean that we can't bring it into our daily practices today. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So the reason that the question was um, was kind of two part, you know, addressing mental health, but then also addressing um, allyship for the trans and non-binary community is because we know that um, those populations are often victims of systems of oppression, you know, and and so for those of us that are in this community and really want to stand in solidarity by providing a level of allyship, um, what are what are some some of the suggestions or recommendations that you would you would share? Um, I would say a lot of people, hmm, it's a difficult one because it's, effectively, if you're part of the LGBT community, you will have disproportionately large amounts of mental health. Um, yeah. And that's yeah. not because of your uh, gender identity or your sexuality, it's because of the sheer amount of um, hate crime. Right, um, exactly. Which you, which you encounter. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't necessarily understood by our families. We do experience disproportionate amounts of, disproportionate amounts of homelessness. Um, like, there's always a question mark. Do you really want to tell your landlord <laughs> that you're trans or non-binary? There's a lot there. Um, and that does mean that we do have uh, depression, anxiety, and unfortunately that does lead to suicide. Um, yeah. The life expectancy of black trans women in the US is 35, and we don't even have the statistics in the UK. So that's how how much um, being part of the community will impact your mental health mm -hmm. um, and your life expectancy. Yeah. There's a whole raft of social economic factors if you think about it. I mean, in the UK we have NHS, but I wouldn't really get too excited when it comes to NHS trans healthcare. Um, but if you are trying to survive, trying to pay bills, and you can't get a job because you're trans and non-binary. Where does that leave you? Uh, if you can't, right. um, if you can't sign a lease because you haven't got any uh, uh, income, income reserves. If you can't stay in a uh, professional qualification or any qualification for long periods of time um, because you're afraid you're going to get uh, a transphobia or um, biphobia or homophobia from your professors, where does that leave you? It mm -hmm. means that you end up stuck in perpetual uh, poverty. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's real talk. And so we, we so appreciate this perspective that you're bringing. So what advice can you give to someone who is um, being marginalized, maybe in their workspace um, for being who they are or dressing how they dress? You know, again, for trying to be their authentic selves. Um, I would say that it's not up to one individual in a professional environment to change the work ethic um, or the culture of an entire organization. Mm -hmm. um, so don't put that upon yourself. I've spoken to a lot of trans and non-binary people in different industries and their employers are asking them to sort of write a transition policy or to educate other members of staff. And I always say to them, that's not part of your paycheck. That's not part of your job description. You know, that, changing company culture isn't up to you to do. Um, they should have budget in order to sort of change company structures. So that's the first thing I would say. I would say that um, it's important that you feel comfortable coming to work with your, your full self. Mm -hmm. I'm aware that, um, especially in the 80s, uh, covering a lot of 
people, if they were talking about their weekends, they'll say, oh, I spent time with my partner. They wouldn't mention the fact that they were part of the LGBT community. Um, that's a personal choice. I, I, I fully understand that. I fully respect that. I mean, after what happened to me, I fully understand that you don't necessarily want to be that open about your identity, but it does eventually take its toll. Um, so, yeah, it's a toss up between, in some instances, a toss up between your career and actually being honest about your identity. Um, right. And you just have to work out what the sweet spot is for you personally. But I would say that it is incredibly refreshing being in an environment where everyone does understand and respect each other. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of corporations are trying to make a big impact or to effectively say that we are trans non-binary friendly so things are changing I wouldn't wouldn't say that they're changing quickly enough yeah Um, I would say that people things are changing in the right direction so uh, if you're applying for a job and you see MX in the application form that's a good sign it means that someone's gotten there um, if you look at the diversity uh, of staff, staff, so even the CAC, uh, when it comes to uh, on their website, that's another tick. You know, do they have a uh, trans uh, transition policy? Um, yeah, internally, that's another tick. You know, you can right. ask these questions in interviews. But if you are in the organisation, you don't necessarily feel as if you're, you're getting the traction that you deserve, then by, by all means, um, speak to HR. Um, HR are, are there and in the UK you are protected by the Equality Act mm-hmm. so the Equality Act does protect you from any discrimination so mm-hmm. if you are experiencing discrimination raise it as a red flag but more importantly it, it, what, what do you want out of the, the job yeah. you're there to sort of get experience you're there to improve your career not to educate an organisation mm-hmm. so if you can find a better opportunity somewhere else I'd, I'd personally take it yeah. So Rico, um, if you don't mind, tell us about what that breaking point was for you, because you have shared so far that you haven't always been as comfortable, you know, being able to share and talk very openly. But, you know, as you were giving advice, you said you have to just really identify, you know, what is going to allow you to show up as your authentic self. And sometimes those environments aren't supportive of that. So what was that breaking point and moment for you to where you you were able to be victorious and say, no longer am I going to subject myself to not being able to be my authentic self. Um, I think I had to learn that if I'm tying mm-hmm. on to you, because even if you as an individual are fighting for your own rights, even subconsciously, if you're raised in an environment that told you that your identity is something which is taboo, you potentially may believe that. And I'm blessed in the settings that in the UK, we have UK Black Pride. I mean, mm-hmm. we have a community. We have an active community. I remember uh, as I was recovering from PTSD, I used to work as a bartender um, in a, a lesbian bar in London. And I used to always annoy my, my lesbian colleagues. It's like, you're not lesbian. You can't be this annoying. I'm like, yeah. Because I'm like, you're not, you're not one of us. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm probably trans then. Because trans guys and lesbians, we're not the same. We're really not the same. I, I dropped so many dad jokes in the profession. In the, in those, in the, uh, oh, God, please, Rico, please stop. Um, yeah, we'll just, there's, there's a clear difference between the communities. Uh, we all enjoy each other's company, but um, we are different. But when I was working there, I luckily had a um, trans woman as a manager. And they said, oh, Rico, what's your pronouns? I said, well, I think I'm a trans guy. I think my pronouns are he, him. But don't worry about it if you, don't, if you get it wrong. They're like, no, no, that's your identity. Your identity is important. People should respect your identity. And I was like, oh, really? They're like, yes. So I, I had the, 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 um, the privilege of being in an environment where my identity was respected yeah. and 
um, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Like I did yeah. just like work up one morning and then have the confidence I had today. I was privileged that I had the, um, the people around me to support me on that journey. So yeah, your diet isn't just what you eat. It's the people that you hang out with. So always oh, exactly. Yeah. Your diet isn't just what you eat. It's people you hang out with. It's everything that you consume, right? Everything that you consume. So I appreciate that. So you're the director at Transactual UK. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about um, the organization, the projects that you are affiliated with and how it it's impacting trans people living in the UK? Of course. Um, so Transactual UK was founded in 2017 after press transphobia. Uh, in 2020, we expanded significantly. I actually was brought on in 2020. We now cover, um, we run by trans people for trans people, and that what makes us quite unique uh, in the UK space. Um, historically, a lot of trans-led projects were run by cishet, effectively um, lesbian, gay, bisexual people, which is nothing wrong with that. But when we're when it's run by us for us, that's not the yeah. Black Lives Matter movement. It does make mm -hmm. a significant difference. So uh, we cover legislative reform, media relations, and um, healthcare. So in the healthcare segment, we um, pull together a report, a presentation for um, trans and non-binary people. So they have like a workshop, they could come along and we could discuss what their legal rights were, how to have those discussions with medical professionals. We also pull together, I say we, I basically mean my very, very <laughs> smart colleagues. <laughs> they did most of that, I did most of the media relations. But, entourage, your yeah. colleagues, yes, we get it. <laughs> exactly, no, they're, they're amazing people. Um, so they, they pull together a uh, guide for GPs. So when they, if a GP doesn't necessarily understand what trans healthcare they could offer a trans non-binary person, because GPs aren't actually given any education. Uh, it's not part of their uh, standard curriculum and it's not actually an optional module in the UK. So they have to literally work out what to do in the 10 minutes the GP has with the patient. And that's just not mm -hmm. always possible. Um, yeah, I got referred on to a erectile dysfunction clinic when I first spoke to my GP and I was just like, this probably isn't the place for me. <laughs> so they just make so many mistakes. So yeah, so that, that crib sheet was effectively given, um, was created by GPs, volunteer GPs for other GPs. Uh, legislative reform, we write submissions. So uh, my colleagues wrote one to the UN recently, uh, Violence Against Women and Girls. We um, are part of the... Uh, and conversion therapy sort of working groups so we do a lot of in in that space and uh lgbt consortiums are a great organization pull together recommendations to trans and binding people in the uk and that went to the mayor's office so we do a lot on the sort of legal space um and media relations things like this just raising awareness yeah sure um, Sure. No, no, that's awesome. Thank you. And I don't know if anyone in this community is aware of um, a similar effort and initiative. I would imagine that the states, United States has something along those lines as well. Would love for you, if so, to drop it into the chat. And Rico, you may know of, um, you know, what's happening here in the states as well. Anything comes to mind that's along the same lines as transactual? Um, I can't think of a specific organization. Okay. Yeah. I would say that we probably know more about what's happening in Europe. I mean, I'm aware of the yeah, sure. I'm aware that of course. there's a lot of um, transphobia, uh, but I don't necessarily know of a specific organization that's sort of yep. tackling it. Got it. No, thank you. 
So um, you are a leading advocate for trans rights. Um, tell us about how generational differences are often misconceived. And so again, we're lots of intersecting identities sometimes that can shape how in which people um, interact and perceive others. And so let's talk about um, the generational differences and how they're misconceived relevant to um, trans population. There you go, you've got trans equality. Thanks, oh, Vicky. thanks, Vicky. <laughs> um, uh, intersectionality difference. Um, no, so intergenerational differences. Yes, of course. So um, when I first joined the LGBT community, the perception was um, that it was a relatively new concept. A lot of people have that misinformation. It mm -hmm. really isn't. Um, gender and sexuality fluidity has always existed. Um, Interestingly, it was removed during colonialism. So uh, colonialism created a hierarchy, as I'm sure you all know, DNI professionals, um, when it comes to race relations, um, women's rights, and also the LGBT people. So anything that wasn't quote unquote productive or at least back to that perf perfect ideology that we were discussing earlier, once you have a perfect society, anything that is imperfect, imperfect needs to be removed effectively. Um, and yeah, so there's a whole raft of um, gender diversity in ancient communities. So <clears throat> the Hijari in India, uh, two-spirited people, um, Native Americans. Um, there was non-binary Egyptian pharaoh. Non-binary people were considered divine in tribes in Angola. And um, non-binary people were in the service of the gods in the temple of Artemis. So those are independent communities all over the world and non-binary people and trans people living their best lives. So it, it, it takes the same way that a lot of our history has been erased, a lot of our communities has been erased. So knowing that my ancestors would actually be proud of me as a trans person just is just a massive weight off my shoulders. Yeah. Um, and I feel as if when people, especially in the UK, if you talk about colonialism and if you talk about Section 28, those are two moments where there's a large amount of misinformation. And it means that when you are having a conversation with someone about DNI, you're not saying, okay, I'm not blaming you for being a white person. <laughs> I'm, I'm effectively saying that you don't know because the, the system has been rigged. I mean, yeah. you could talk about dystopia if you really want to be, um, you know, that person, but effectively there is a significant large amount of misinformation. So it's just a case of bringing people back to where we were before and a societal reset. I like to call it a societal reset, just going back to where we were before. Um, and just the acknowledgement that no one is better than anyone else, just right. all people. Yeah, yeah. So I, I appreciate you bringing um, colonialism to the conversation and how it has affected the history of, of trans and non binary people. Um, so I mentioned when I was reading your official bio that um, Copperfield and Gap campaign of which you've been affiliated. So for those that don't know, can you tell us what is the Copperfield and Gap campaign and what do they aim to achieve? Of course. Um, so uh, Copperfield is a cancer charity. Um, I think they're international, but I mean, yeah, they're quite well known in the UK. Uh, so they're a cancer charity and one of the projects that um, one of my colleagues is working on, they want a LGBT, the first LGBT cancer charity, um, live through this. And the person that runs it is actually a non-binary person. So he, he, they had a working group um, working with live through this in order to make their cancer charity more inclusive because a cancer does impact everyone. 
but the language that you use in order to describe cancer could be more inclusive. So mm -hmm. there was a consensus that you need to describe breast tissue because both men and women have breast tissue. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to diagrams, the diagrams that say need to explicitly yeah. be women's mm -hmm. breasts, or doesn't necessarily just need to be more of a diagrammatic. So they decided on using um, gender neutral, like fruit. So like, they have the fruit and then the fruit explains, okay, this is a lump tissue, et cetera. And it's just chest, chest, chest checking. But mm -hmm. it's chest checking, which is more inclusive. So someone who is experiencing gender dysphoria has the opportunity in order to take care of themselves mm -hmm. and not necessarily fall um, a victim to a very, very um, well, life-changing uh, disease. So part of that project, I was part of that working group. And then they mentioned that they needed someone to do the shoot and I volunteered. So that's how I got into it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that campaign was just brilliant. Um, yeah, uh, Copperfield is really, um promoting diversity and inclusion and one of my favorite moments is that they had a board and <laughs> i don't know how to say this <laughs> there was basically a, a um mountains of boobs <laughs> wall, and then there was a a, um, a non-binary chest a trans person chest and i was there with the person who ran the campaign i was like oh my god they're like yes yeah. diversity yeah. everywhere no i i so appreciate that we all are familiar that october is um you know brands can cancer awareness month and so we're just coming off of a month where i know there's probably was a lot of communication and an outreach and and um, ways to help um, generate greater awareness and um uh, my my actual my church did a video to help educate on it and one of the individuals that was speaking was a male and he was talking about how uh, what that felt like when he first got the diagnosis that yeah you have you have breast cancer and so um, I, I appreciate you bringing this to the conversation because sometimes we don't think about um, how are we talking speaking more inclusively about um, issues that impact more than just one you know gender um, and so yeah thank you I, I, I have a visual in my head of the graphic you were describing it sounds like it probably was quite maybe effective in, in bringing that point home Okay, so um, we're going to shift in just a moment to take some questions from the audience. And again, I will invite you to place your questions either into the chat, um, but we also love, love, love when people are willing to unmute themselves and share their questions live, engaging with our, our co-host. And so we invite that as well. So be thinking about those questions. Um, I'm going to ask a few more and then we'll turn it over to um, the group. So can you tell us the intersectionality of being Black and trans and living in the UK? Talk about all of those experiences um wow <laughs> what a question yeah <laughs> well uh since i transitioned um i realized that men actually have conversations with me before it always had like kind of like a weird leery air to it <laughs> which i couldn't quite put my finger on and now like men offer to help me they're like are you right mate you look a bit lost I'm like, oh, i don't know where i'm going like, oh let's go that way that would never yeah. happen before um yeah. People don't interrupt me in the meetings anymore, which is very mm. refreshing. Um, uh, I would say if you are wearing a dress and heels on public transport, people will just stare at you. And mm. it seems like it's okay to just stare at people. <laughs> As a guy, no one knows that you exist. <laughs> like you can go for your day and no one will look at you. Like it's you're very like, it, there's a blissful element there. Um, I would say as a black person, I've realized that if I go to a store, security people do follow me around now, which was like an interesting 
addition to my life. <laughs> like seriously, like I'm not stealing anything. I come here literally every day. <laughs> um, yeah. And I would say uh, I, I went to get a COVID test mm-hmm. and I got a bit lost on the way back into the hospital. And um, I had security guards like following me, like, where are you going? I was just like, oh, I just came to get a COVID test. Um, and then a white woman was following me. They let the white woman go. It's like, oh, she looks fine. I was just like, looks fine? I, I, I'm just, I, I'm literally dressed, dressed like an artist, like one of those flamboyant artists. Like, I, do I seriously look like I'm a threat to your loading bay? It's just a lot of things have changed. And mm-hmm. I think POC, uh, trans and binary people, we see both sides of the spectrum. So we kind of understand the privileges and the discrimination. Um, I, yeah, I would say as a trans guy, um, my life is significantly easier than being a trans woman, 100%. And mainly because I'm, I would say I'm privileged, I'm passable, I look like the gender that I am. Um, But uh, men, men, male privilege is 100% a thing. 100% 100% of the thing. I just happen to be short. And apparently that's the thing that comes to dating. You have to be over <laughs> six foot. That was a new thing as well, I discovered. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of thing, things yeah. in society that really seem to be changed. Um, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate you sharing. So I, there's one question that's already surfaced. And so maybe others are thinking about questions they want to present. So this question is, what advice do you have for those struggling to feel empowered to have discussions with senior level colleagues that what they are saying or doing is offensive. Uh, sorry, just quickly back to the sectionality piece and just popped into my mind. So being um, part of two different diversity protective characteristics does yep. have a detriment, especially when it comes to accessing um, um, non-trans specific healthcare in the UK. Uh, Transactional UK, we created a survey recently and we pushed for the largest amount of uh, POC respondents ever. Usually have around about 8%, we kind of got it up to um, 20%, just trying to get it to be proportional to actual community. And intersectionality has actually been improved in that survey. I'll put it in the chat mm. towards the end. So when it comes to access to healthcare, access to opportunities, when it comes to income, there's a significant difference in the income. Well, that's to be expected, to be honest with you. Uh, so when you are part of two minority groups, it does, it does impact your livelihood um, and your opportunities. Yeah, I think someone mentioned that when it comes to being a trans woman um because i and this is roughly i'm paraphrasing here from the quote it basically said that um people come from asian backgrounds from having delicate features so therefore they are more passable as 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 a black trans woman so therefore that's the reason why someone experienced transphobia when transitioning this is a whole raft of things so Mm -hmm. yeah that community are, are a significant disadvantage and I was raised in an environment where sex work was considered to be incredibly taboo and not spoken of. And having lived in the black trans community, sex work is incredibly common. It's shockingly common. Because mm-hmm. if you can't get a job to pay for your transition and your healthcare first waiting appointment is five years, what options do you have realistically? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's just the state of play. So, uh, and when we were doing this mission for violence against women and girls, Mm-hmm. Uh, that government submission we got quotes from sex workers to put into that submission and it was such a gnarly report I was proofreading it was an absolute nightmare but the one that really stuck out to me was a a sex worker I had client client came in tied her up hate triggering one sorry 
um, with, uh, with cables. And um, the only reason why she survived was because one of her friends came in and hit the guy over the head with a baseball bat. They didn't report that because they thought that the police wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't prosecute and they would humiliate them. Plus, mm-hmm. being a sex worker in the UK is illegal. So that's two <laughs> instances of potential discrimination. And th- therefore, um, we've done a lot of work transactional with uh, domestic abuse shelters. So that trans women, when they're the most vulnerable, they can actually access domestic abuse shelters. So that's mm-hmm. one of the things that we're working on. So there's a lot that needs to be done. Also, how many trans people have you seen in professional settings, realistically? Yeah, um, yeah. I want there to be a future of trans doctors, nurses and accountants. That's what I want. So yeah, mm-hmm. it needs to be done. No, I, I appreciate you bringing the, um, the realism and helping us to get a little bit better proximate to those challenges um, of trans and non-binary people. I do believe that um, we don't talk about it enough. These individuals are certainly in our communities. They're in our workplaces. And quite honestly, maybe many of them are hiding the secret, if you will, because they are afraid of how they're going to be um, perceived. And so as I think about those statements, what advice would you have to organizational leaders um, from a standpoint of being proactive, not waiting for someone to then raise their hand and say, hey, I'm transitioning or here's my circumstance, but just being proactive to make sure that the environment is such to where that um, that process is is um, is not as, as stressful and, and traumatizing for individuals. What advice would you have for those organizational leaders? Uh, the diversity inclusion training should be the mm-hmm. first point of call. Everyone has nothing. <laughs> Preaching to the converted, all day like ourselves. Like, yes, yeah. um, but it should include trans and non-binary um, history in that, and also Black history. I mean, I don't I... understand why everyone thinks that we were just slaves and that's it. We were enslaved. It's different. Like people should understand the history that's been removed from our curriculum in a professional setting, because it 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 creates a certain amount of ignorance, and it's willful ignorance. Now I find that incredibly frustrating. So um, I would say that that should be a part of the induction material. It shouldn't be in a company for five or six months to encounter non-binary person and how to use non-binary pronouns. I think that mm-hmm. if you have a non-binary person, that individual should be protected. Um, part of that induction, the HR people should politely make them aware that if they do discriminate against that individual, there will be ramifications. Yeah, uh, and it will end up potentially using your position. Uh, I don't understand why it's sort of like a pat on the back or he'll get better or, you know, I think there was one instance where someone got misgendered continuously and they said, mm-hmm. well, she's going to retire in a couple of months, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, there should people should be held accountable because it is illegal. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's not up to the person to endure that. Yeah. So I'm going to invite um, the audience to share some questions, thoughts, and reflections. And I am particularly interested in if there's someone a part of our broadcast community that is with an organization that has had to navigate um, the, the, the complexity of what do we do now? Because one of our colleagues has come forth and say they're going through a transition. Are we prepared for it? Or did your organization take more of a proactive approach and you were already ready to, to accommodate for what was needed in the, in the work environment? So I'm just kind of curious as to anyone in our community would be willing to share some thoughts, reflections um, around that very specific question. And I see a hand raised. Let me find, oh, it's Vicky. Just quickly, 
uh, before but on yeah. that so um people tend to think about the internal individuals in the organization what about your clients like the under generation yeah. of fully understanding of trans non-binary and gender um sexuality and fluidity so you need to be able to move with the times so if you have a trans non-binary client and you're trying to close a deal and the person the stuff and send trans non-binary people you're, yeah well, yeah, not just your employees, but your other stakeholders that may, you know, visit your facility that you may be interacting with. Absolutely. So let's take all of that into account. Thank you, Rico. Sorry, Vicky. Uh, go for it. Hi. Um. Thank you so much for being here. Um. It, just great to, uh, you know, see you express yourself so, um, comfortably and and authentically. Uh, I actually have a a, a transgender brother. Um, so I, I have a personal experience and uh, he is a doctor. So I think you'd be very happy to see the representation there. Uh, our organization uh, was not prepared for uh, a transgender employee, but I'm very, very grateful that we responded. I prefer if we were more proactive, but we did respond very well with establishing policies, making sure that um, she felt um, comfortable um, but I want to make sure that we continue to look at that because that happened in the middle of the pandemic. And we want to make sure that when we have a return to office that she feels equally as a comfortable in the environment. Uh, we did have um, some training. We had the policies. We had a thought leader in the industry who is also transgender so that there was some more exposure to um, that experience. So there's more empathy that's introduced there. Um, but I think it needs to be a continual conversation to make sure that everybody embraces and accepts uh, her, her experience, her pronouns, everything about her um, uh, as we come back to a, a, a return to office environment. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing, Vicki. Um, I am I'm keenly aware that the, the, the pandemic, certainly when you are um, being exposed to this information during a pandemic, trying to solve for that is even more complex. And so kudos to you and your organization for, for navigating that and then continuing to keep it top of mind, knowing that as people then begin to, you know, gravitate back towards all being in the same, you know, facility um, that we may have to remind people, re-educate people, you know, reacquaint them to, these are some things you have to hold in mind in the consideration set to make sure all of our colleagues feel a sense of acceptance and belonging in the workplace. And so thank you for sharing. Is there anyone else a part of this community that maybe your organization has had to, um, to navigate this and you're willing to share some thoughts and reflections with us? Whether it's lessons learned, best practices, I think we can learn from both. I would say, um, well, just just coming to mind, uh, adding pronouns and bios. Of that course, yeah. Is just like a minimum requirement because it means that I still need to out myself continuously. It's a yep. safe environment. And I think I've had yeah. lots um, cishet people say to me, "Is it offensive?" I'm like, "No, no, it's helpful because uh, it means that it's a standardised, is it?" uh gender neutral bathrooms mm -hmm. if you can um, um some trans men have periods so having sanitary products in both bathrooms can mm. be quite helpful but realistically gender neutral bathrooms is just beneficial right. um uh having uh training people to be aware that if they do misgender someone that not to make like a massive deal out of it just just 
apologize and just say, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll do better next time and just sort of move on because it kind of makes it a bigger deal than it really needs to. Um, I would say, yeah, transition policies in the office um, is a, a big win and amending the dress codes. Yeah. Uh, dress codes effectively say bring your full self to work or dress for your day is just like full stop. <laughs> That's all you really yeah. need to be in it. Full stop, um, yeah. <laughs> because gender, gender expression isn't exclusive for trans and non-binary people or part of the LGBT community. Technically, there is no rules to it and there really shouldn't be any rules to it. So if someone who is a straight man wants to wear eyeliner or wear foundation, there's technically shouldn't be a rule against that. Right. People tend to think that we're just fighting for ourselves. We're basically fighting for everyone. Yeah. Um, and uh, you tend to think that uh, being part of the, the drag king, drag king community, and that's just part of performing and showmanship. Realistically, that's not always the case. Um, mm -hmm. Gender expression can extend to people on the street. You, you can wear makeup if you want to. Yeah. No, thank you, Rika. Those are some really good suggestions. So I see that Sam hand um, is raised. So I'm going to let you, I'm not going to pin you so that you can unmute yourself and, and, and come forth with the conversation. Join us. Hello. Um, I have to say I'm a little anxious. It's the first time I've talked in front of the group. So thank you for Thanks, allowing Sam. me yeah. the feelings of anxiety. <laughs> um, I would just say that, uh, first of all, thank you, Rico, for, for putting yourself out there and, again, talking so authentic, authentically about your experience. Um, I had a moment where I was tearing up because it was resonating with a lot inside of me. So thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really appreciated. Um, as to Nika's question, uh, thank you for that and about the workplace. I think it's extremely important for like to to teach people to for to teach people how to acknowledge it, because what had happened in our workplace is we have a predominantly white female work environment where I'm at, and we had somebody who came in who happened to be non-binary and used they them pronouns, and they were constantly misgendered, and people didn't correct the people who were getting it wrong. They didn't understand why it was so wrong, and. Um, it was, it was hard for that person. It was hard. And I recognize like, <clears throat> you know, I wasn't perfect in that situation either, but as an ally, I could have advocated a bit more and helped. Um, and then I since learned that I am myself non-binary after like a lot of my re-education for myself. And I think that um, teaching people is really the key because they don't understand until they can have some empathy and really digest that because they're not going to see that what they're doing is wrong. Mm -hmm. And it took probably another two years for people to start putting pronouns into their signature blocks. But now a lot of my coworkers are, which is amazing, mm -hmm. but it does take time. And I, I kind of love, hate the saying, but it does get better. Like, I think it's true, but I think it's like unfortunate that we have to be the ones to really put our energy out there to make it happen. So of thank you. Of course. No, thank you so much for sharing, Sam. I really appreciate that. So there's some good stuff happening into the chat. So I want to um, I want to make sure that we all are directing our attention there. And um, specifically, I saw where there was a question earlier from Anne Kingston. Um, and it was about using, and Anne, I'm going to assume that because you placed it into chat that maybe you prefer not to come live. Um, I'm trying to get back there. 
because it was really good. Has anyone found a good way to add pronouns to Microsoft Outlook or Teams? And it sounds like, um, at least from reading the chat, um, the suggestion was to add it into your signature. That's one, that's one place where you can include your pronouns. Um, but yeah, I'm with you, Anne. I, I love the fact that I know Instagram and LinkedIn have automatically built it in. And I think that that's a good modeling because it, you know, we don't have to have these workarounds. It almost says this is this is natural occurrence and it normalizes it. So I really do appreciate um, those organizations kind of taking the lead there. Are there any others that we know of that have been very intentional about making this just a way of life, a way of how in which we speak and communicate and, and introduce ourselves besides like a LinkedIn? Any others that come to mind from this community? I'll just add that I just was updating my Zoom profile because I wanted it to say Sam and I noticed that they added a section that says your pronouns and when do you want it to show. So I thought that was oh, really cool. You know what? And that must be new because we've always kind of just manually added ours to our name. And so now, so you see, this is how it happened, y'all. This is how it happened. You have a certain subset of people that will raise their hand and be willing to, to go there with this new idea. And then people start catching on. And then after a while, it becomes a bit more normalized. And um, so, you know, my, I amplify that because for those of us who feel like maybe these small acts of, of allying, showing forth allyship, it's not doing anything. I guarantee you that collectively it is making a difference. And so. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Okay. If I get an email from someone that doesn't have pronouns in it, I, I always think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it no, it's a safe space, basically. Yeah. It, it makes a massive difference. No, absolutely. So Anne has um, a question, um, would love to hear more on how you've conducted training for HMs and hiring managers and recruiters. And actually this question is for someone in our community, I believe. I was thinking this was a question for you, Rico. It's for Finesse. Finesse, George, are you willing to, to share with us? Hi, everybody. So I'm not able to be on camera right now. Um, Hi. This discussion, um, one thing our, our team started to do is to begin educating our recruiters on the importance of using pronouns in all interactions with um, applicants or candidates or even finalists. And we've asked them to not only understand pronouns, but to really begin to appreciate it. Um, one of the ways we framed it is, um, are your pronouns up for negotiation or debate or for someone's um, interpretation? Probably not. So we don't wanna do that to anyone else. Um, and that education has really gone a long way. It's, it's a process though, right? Like not everyone is going to get it right the first time, but um, it's something that we've begun to do. We also put together like a four page kind of guide on how to use pronouns, conversation scenarios, and we're actually working on a video that we're going to distribute to our entire community. Um, and we ask recruiters to also share the pronouns of every candidate that they're forwarding to a hiring manager um, in their emails. So that way the hiring manager knows before they are even meeting with the candidate what their pronouns are. And we ask the hiring managers to still ask, just in case something is lost in translation, to still ask that. So at every point in the process, people coming in or experiencing our organization are aware that we acknowledge pronouns. 
I so love that. That is really, really good. That's really good. Thank you so much for sharing. Those are some great suggestions. And Sam, is your hand still up from before? Or would you like to share again? Happy to have you share again. <laughs> I, I just looked at the time, so I'll, I'll make it really quick. No, um, you're fine. Go for it. One of the discussions that we've had in our workplace is that um, our nation is just so big and that there are pockets where it might not be safe for people to be out. And we've had this larger discussion on why even cisgender people should have their pronouns out, but there still might be situations where it might not be safe to do that. And so I just thought it would be important to vocalize to the group mm -hmm. that being aware of the situation that you're in and who you're around is also very important. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for bringing that to the conversation. Rico, some, seems like you want to jump in on that. Yeah, that's a really important point. Um, if I'm out and about, if without my friends, I, I'm just a guy. Trans men are men, trans women are women. Uh, don't mention someone's trans in a public setting because right. it, it, it's, it's you, know, you don't need to do talk about your medical history. It's not appropriate to talk about medical history in a public setting. Plus, it's not always safe. Um, so, yeah. yeah. But the best way to ask someone their pronouns is to sort of introduce, my name is Rika J. Chase, what's your name? Uh, my, my, my name is Rika J. Chase, my pronouns are he and what's your name? And then that just kind of like invites the person to share. They may not want to share, and that's perfectly fine. Um, another suggestion I would say is to have uh, hiring targets for trans and non-binary people within the organisation, because that is like a commitment to actively um, invite people in, in the organisation to be open about who they are, but more importantly, it's a statement uh, to try and make a difference to actually keep things, well, proportional, diverse. I don't think I've ever walked into a professional organisation where I've actually seen um, the diversity match a public transport bus or train. It never does. And that means yeah, that something yeah. definitely is wrong there. If it doesn't look like a train or a bus, you got it wrong. Yeah. It doesn't look like a trainer, but you've got it wrong. You got some work to do now. So I so appreciate this conversation. We're getting to the top of the hour, but I do want to thank you, Rico. I want to thank you for showing up as your authentic self and um, helping us to understand better about the challenges of the trans and the non-binary community. Thank you for your advocacy. Thank you for the work that you're doing to help people to feel safe and accepted. And um, we just appreciate you saying yes to our invite. Lots of good stuff is happening in the chat as well. I hope that you will take a moment to be able to, after today's conversation, look through it and see some of the, um, the, the sentiments that people are sharing. Thank you to all of our audience members that join us week after week. And even those that are joining us for the first time today, we do appreciate it. We hope that you have a wonderful weekend ahead. Remember, we will not be here next Friday, but we will be back on November 19th with Chelsea Williams. And we look forward to seeing you then. I wanna give you the final remarks. What would you like to close this out with, Rico? Stay authentic. Stay authentic. I love it. I love it. On that note, we're signing out. Thank you all so very much. Thanks for joining us for Intentional Conversations podcast.